0: You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com.
1: in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I am him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, next, Next week is Resurrection Sunday. We'll be celebrating. I'm looking forward to that. Um... Well, really glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're um, new to all of this, if you're exploring Christianity, welcome. We're so glad to have you. And, you know, if you've been a Christian since fanny packs were cool, uh, the first time, you know, welcome. Um, yeah, they're, those aren't new. Some, so, uh, those have been around for a while. Um, here at New King, we have one driving passion, and that is we, we want to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. Um, we have four values that we use to sort of help us to filter decisions that keep us true to our mission here at New King, and that, those values are Jesus, hospitality, depth, and pioneering. And um, Today's message is going to be really connected to that first value. Uh, We we just say Jesus. What we mean there is uh, friendship with Jesus. And there's several different ways that you'll find in the scriptures that are going to talk about sort of the same thing. Um, Friendship with Jesus or to walk with him uh, or to walk not by the flesh but by the Spirit and the, the way that we're going to be sort of exploring this idea this morning through this passage is abiding in him, abiding in Jesus. Um, and so we're going to dive into Jesus's I am statement where he says, I am the true vine. We just heard the very beginning of that passage. So he, he says this, this massive statement about himself and then unpacks in the next verses what all that means, and there's so much we could learn. I mean, we could study these eleven verses for a year and not get everything out of them. But we're gonna we're gonna just get what we what we can in in one day here. Um, and I, my prayer is that you're gonna walk away from here um, excited, hungry to sit at Jesus's feet, hungry to abide in Him, and understanding more of what that means for us. Um, Pray with me one more time before we we go any further. Lord Jesus, these words out of your mouth are more precious and mysterious and glorious than we could ever grasp in this life but we want to we want to understand and you have given us your spirit a helper and a teacher so would you now give us greater understanding of these words abide in me would you help us now lord jesus to do that consistently and would you reveal yourself to those here this morning, that don't yet know you. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, we heard Jesus say um, in that passage, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is such good news for those of us here. I know so many of you in this room. You long to live a life that bears much fruit. You you have this yearning in you to live a life that glorifies the Father. And so this is great news. hear that as good news this morning that that we can bear fruit and we can glorify the Father. Um, So many of us, I know, our hearts ache at the thought of getting to the end of our lives and and seeing that they were fruitless. What a, what a horrible feeling. What a horrible reality for so many. Um, and so we can look at this and we can say, okay, th- this, is, this is a desire. This desire I have to be fruitful. This desire I have to glorify God. That's a good desire. Because I see in this passage that Is something that Jesus wants, right? He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus wants you to bear fruit, okay? We see in this passage that it's not only Jesus, but the Father. The Father desires it. My Father is the vine dresser, he says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The Father wants you to have a life filled with fruit. Jesus wants you to have a life filled with fruit. And what's not stated explicitly but is implied here is that the Holy Spirit wants it as well because all that the Father desires and the Son desires, the Spirit carries out in us. When we desire to live fruitful lives for the kingdom of God, we are living in line with, we are having desires in line with heaven, with the kingdom of God. And yet, in spite of this, if we're honest, how many of us on any given week waste countless hours on frivolous things? How many of us get distracted for hours, maybe days on end, and and do not live productive lives, fruitful lives? Isn't that true? Isn't that our real experience? And yet, God has placed this yearning in us. He wants to accomplish it through us, and He means to teach us how to do that. And so, we have much to to hope in this morning. Um, I, I, I understand that there are some in the room this morning who this isn't really a great burning desire for you. And, and I just want to say something to you. There is grace for you this morning. God wants to meet you. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel sort of numb. Maybe that's been the case for a long time. You haven't really had a burning in you to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. God wants to meet you this morning. He wants to awaken a fresh passion in you this morning by the power of his word and the working of His Holy Spirit. And so, don't despair. Maybe right now, if that's you, just quietly in your own heart, just say, God, would you do that for me? Would you awaken a fresh, burning desire to bear fruit for your glory? The fact of the matter is that this whole fruit-bearing thing is part of what it is. I mean, it's how Jesus says very plainly, it's how we prove to be a disciple. It's, it's the original call to follow Jesus. Remember, when, when he calls his disciples, he says, come and follow me, and what? I'll make you fishers of men. You're going you're to learn how to bring others into this thing if you come and follow me. That's, that is the call, right? It's to follow Jesus is to be passionate about the mission that he gave everything for, that he spilled his blood for, right? And so, um, let's just ask God to birth a new passion in us to see fruit from our lives. Um, that's what it really is to be a disciple. It's not, maybe you prayed a prayer once, and, and maybe you even regularly attend church, That's not what it is to be a disciple. It's not what it is to be a a follower of Jesus. Um, Jesus said in verse 8, it's by bearing much fruit that we prove to be his disciples. So this morning we're going to look at, if you got a sheet when you came in, we're going to look at five questions that we want to answer from this text to help us to understand what it means that Jesus is the true vine, what it means that we're his branches, all these these things that we need to piece together. Um, And we're really going to spend the most time on that question three there about how it is that we abide in the vine, but we need to answer these other questions as well so that it all makes sense to us. So the first question is, how is Jesus the vine? He says, I am the true vine vine. At this point in the unfolding story, they're, they're finished with um, celebrating the Passover. The very last verse of chapter 14, he says, let us rise, uh, or, rise, let us go from here. So they're, they're on the move now. They're going to end up in chapter 18 in the garden of Gethsemane. So right now they're, they're on their way there. And it's very possible that as they're walking there, they walk past some, some grape vines or something. And he is, pointing them out. Jesus loved to use things to illustrate truths, right? And so um, what is it about a vine that he wants us to see is true about him? Um, Well, a vine brings water and minerals, nutrients from the soil to its branches in order for fruit to grow. That's what a vine does. It is, the um, vine is going to take its life and push it into the branches. You'll, you're never going to see an unhealthy vine and healthy branches, right? Because the health of the branches depends upon the health of the vine. And so... Um, The branch branch is dependent entirely on the vine, and the life of the vine runs to and through the branches. So Jesus is the vine in that He is full of life, pouring life and vitality into all who are connected to Him. From Christ flows all of who He is into those who abide in Him. So from Christ the true vine flow, his love for God and others, his strength, his comfort, his generosity, his love of sinners, his hatred of sin, his long-suffering, his desire to glorify the Father, his wisdom, his peace, his gentleness, his joy, his productive life to advance the kingdom If you're here this morning and you're sitting here and you don't have a burning passion, but you are his, you are Christ's, then abide in him and his passion for the Father, his passion for his own glory, his passion for the advancing gospel will flow into you. Just as the vine holds nothing back from its branches, so Jesus holds none of himself back. From those who abide in him. The second question we need to answer is. How are we branches? What does that teach us? He says in verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Jesus ascended back into heaven. Right? At the very beginning of the book of Acts. He's, He's already died on the cross. Was buried. He rose from the grave. He walked the earth. For 40 days, he then ascends into heaven, but he's not done with his work on earth. And so he goes to the Father, they send the Spirit, the Spirit comes to the church, fills the church, and he continues his work through the church. The church is his body, he is its head, and this is just another way of talking about it. He is the vine, we are branches So one of the things that this teaches us that we are branches is that we are one with Him. If you look at a branch, do you not say that it is also the vine? I mean, when the vine transitions to a branch, do you stop saying it's the vine? No, the branch is the vine. They're one, right? They are one. So we are one with Christ. We are His body. He is the head. We are His branches. He is the vine. That tells us at least three crucial truths about ourselves. Number one, it tells us we have a very crucial role to play here on earth. A very important role to play on earth. I, this, is, this is one of the most important things that we could become convinced of. God means to use you to reach the people in your life, not not somebody else, like the people that you're close to, the people that you know and love, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, God is planning to use you to reach them, your plan A, And, and I think a lot of times we get it in our minds that that's somebody else's job, And like, we're friends with this person and we can pray for him and we sure hope somebody's going to come along and tell them about Jesus. Don't we? But we are it. We are the plan. This is what being a branch means. He wants to bear his fruit. He wants to use you for the work he wants to do on this earth. It tells us that... He wants to use you also to encourage those that already know Him. He wants to use you to disciple believers. He wants to use you to pour into other Christians and to help them to mature in Christ and to look more and more like Christ. That's your job, not somebody else's. You're His branch. And then it tells us, that we are powerless by ourselves. Um, I think if we forget this, we have a tendency to rely on our own strength and then produce nothing, because Jesus plainly said, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? We need to remember that what happens to a branch if you cut it off? It dies. And if we are cut off, if we are not connected to the vine We're going to wither and die. So we're powerless apart from him. But when we are connected to him, and this is the third important thing that we need to see when we are connected to him, we are partakers of the divine nature, as Peter said. Wow. That is a more incredible truth than we can wrap our heads around. Partakers of the divine nature. The life of God himself is in us. And that's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. So, yes, we're absolutely powerless by ourselves. But when connected to him, I mean, anything could happen. And so he wants to use even us. We're plan A, church. There's no plan B. He wants to and means to use you to reach those around you, to disciple and encourage and equip Christians around you. That's what it means to be a branch. Now, our job then is to stay connected to the vine. If that's what's required of us, then we should, we should spend a little bit of time really considering how we do that, right? So, So now we're going to answer question number three. How does a person abide in him? How does a person abide in him? We're going to really look at verses 4 and 7 on this one. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then in verse 7, which we're going to look at in just a second. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that abiding doesn't happen automatically because you're in Christ, because you, are, because you believe in Christ, okay? He is giving this command to his disciples who believe in him. He's telling them. This is something you must do. He's saying, look, you need to abide in me. If you want to have a life that bears much fruit, you need to abide in me. If they want to accomplish much for the kingdom of God, there's something they must do, responsibility on their part. And what is that? They must abide in Jesus Abide is another word for to remain or to live in or to stay connected. Let me give you a definition of what it means to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ means to live relationally connected with Jesus from one moment to the next. It's pretty simple, right? I mean, it's a pretty simple definition not so simple to do. But this is what it means to abide in Christ, to live relationally connected to Jesus from one moment to the next. How many of you know you're, you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you, and yet you can go an entire day not relationally connecting with Him? Anybody else? So you you see why this is actually something that Jesus felt like, I need to tell them to do this. Because it doesn't happen automatically, does it? To abide means to live relationally connected with Jesus from one moment to the next. Now, there are two halves to this that I want, in particular, for us to focus on this morning. How do we do that? How do we live relationally connected to Him, from one moment to the next. The first half of it is this. To be relationally connected, you must be conscious of Him. Now, why is it crucial that we be consciously thinking of Jesus? Now, it's not, this isn't hard for us to understand if we just put it into the context of any other relationship. So if m- my wife and I living in the same house, are you know, eating eating at the same table, and using the same sink, and sleeping in the same bed, but we aren't aware of the other person at all. We're not thinking of the other at all. That's not a very healthy relationship, is it? Nobody would say, man, that's like the ideal marriage right there, right? (laughs) Or if Tiffany said to me, hey, Will you go on a walk with me? And I said, sure. Yeah. And and we walked out the door. We started heading down the street. And we're walking the streets of Burlington together. And my mind is so distracted with ministry ideas of things that need to happen before Easter. And the stuff I've still got to get done. And I got to get my car inspected. I haven't done that probably going to get pulled over. <laughs> you know, I'm walking down the street and, and my mind is on everything but her. The, then that's not, that's not us living in relationship, right? Just because we're in the same proximity together or even doing the same thing together doesn't mean that we're connected. Because we all know this intuitively, relationship requires directing our thoughts toward another. However, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we forget this, don't we? We think, well, he's thinking about me, so. (laughs) Right? But, to abide in him requires that you be thinking of him that you be directing your thoughts toward him why well we we probably all want to we we want to trust him we want to obey him we want to love him guess what you cannot do if you're not thinking about him you can't trust him if you're not thinking about him. You can't love him if you're not thinking about him. You can't obey Him if you're not thinking about him. None of this happens automatically, right? And so we need to direct our thoughts toward Jesus. If you don't do that, Jesus says, nothing much will come of your life. This is what listen to this quote by John Ortberg in his book, "Soul Keeping." I love this. He says, I begin each day by challenging myself. How many moments of my life today can I fill with conscious awareness of and surrender to God's presence? I've been trying to make this the goal of my day as opposed to a list of things I have to get done. Can I just keep God in my mind today regardless of what I'm doing? That'd probably change our lives, wouldn't it? that's pretty simple, isn't it? But what if he was always before you? The psalmist said, I set the Lord always before me. This would change the way we live. It's the first half of the battle to set our thoughts, to direct our thoughts toward Him so that we can trust Him, so that we can love Him, so that we can obey Him. At any given moment, you absolutely cannot be trusting, loving, and obeying a God you aren't conscious of. So this is the first half of the battle. What's the second half of the battle to abide? Well... According to Jesus, to be relationally connected to Him, then you must have His Word filling your mind. Look at verse 7. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, to Jesus, these are synonymous. Abiding in Him and having His words abiding in us. Right? To know Jesus, you must know his word. My my very first mentor told me, he said, Ben, you will never know Jesus better than you know his word. You will never know him better than you know his word. Jesus, in fact, is the word. So, we need to to get a conviction about this. I'm going to harp on this for a little bit. This is a hill I've decided is worth dying on. You need to be in the Word every day. Abiding in Jesus is not possible apart from His Word's abiding in you. It's not possible. One of the most prevalent deceptions that I believe is destroying the spiritual lives of Christians today, is that because they read and studied God's Word at some point in the past, they don't need to study it so much anymore. I think it's destroying the lives of Christians today. And this deception is causing believers by the truckloads to slowly drift further and further from God. It happens so slowly. It happens slowly so that you you don't become alarmed, right? And and the next thing you know, several days goes by, then a week goes by, and then weeks go by, and then you don't have any desire for the Word at all. Now, why is this important? Well, I think... There is a principle to be found in Exodus chapter 16. Um, and I, Because I see this elsewhere too, I'm not only picking this from here, but, but the Old Testament was written for our instruction. And in Exodus, in the Old Testament, the second book of the Old Testament, chapter 16, the, the people of Israel, God's chosen people have been rescued out of slavery from Egypt. They're wandering through the desert, and they're hungry, and they cry out to God, and God begins to feed them with something called manna, bread from heaven. And this stuff falls six days a week. It doesn't fall on the Sabbath. They have to collect double portion on uh, the day before the Sabbath so that they don't go out and work on the Sabbath. But six days a week, this stuff falls from heaven... And they wake up in the morning, and it's there. And early in the morning, they got to go, and they've got to get it, and they got to bring it back, and they can bake it, they can eat it in different ways. And it, it settles on the ground like a dew. And they, it crusts, and they can pick it up, gather a bunch of it, take it back, and they eat it. Let me read to you verses 18 through 21 of Exodus 16. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Now, bread from heaven had to be gathered daily or else you try to eat yesterday's manna and it's it's rotten it stinks it's no good anymore now how many christians today are trying to live on yesterday's manna on the word they gathered yesterday or the word they gathered last week or last month or last year and you think i got plenty of it stored up and it's stinking Why? You need, this is a relationship. What was God trying to teach them in the desert? You need to depend on me every single day. I want you to learn this. I want you to learn you must get up and gather daily. And what does Jesus teach us to pray? Give us this day our weekly bread, Monthly bread? What does he say? Our daily bread. Now, if that applies to physical food, does it not apply to spiritual food? I don't think it's a stretch at all. What really matters in your spiritual life, when when Jesus looks at you and he assesses you, what matters? Your love for him today, not yesterday. Read Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 to the church in Ephesus. Jesus says, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You've not grown weary, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. For some of you, this is all that you need to take away this morning. It's time to stop living on yesterday's manna. It's time to get serious about daily gathering from the Word of God so that you can have a fresh Word every day. I want to look at several verses just really quickly just to support this more. 2 Corinthians 3.18 teaches us that we become what we behold. We become what we behold. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The more we behold the glory of Christ, the more we are transformed into the image we behold. You become what you behold. And so this is something we need to do daily. How do we do that? How do we look upon the Lord today? We don't have... Physically here with us, he has revealed himself to us through this book. Even when he was walking the earth physically, I mean, this just hit me as I was meditating on this this week. He's on the earth after he has risen from the grave. He's walked. He he doesn't he doesn't throw this out while he's here. He meets with the two disciples on the road to uh, Emmaus, and what does he what does he do? How does he reveal himself to them? He opens the scriptures with them. He opens the scriptures and he says, look, here I am throughout the scriptures. And their hearts burned within them. He reveals himself to us through his word. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Those of us who say, I don't have time for time in God's Word, how many meals do you miss? We, we don't miss many meals, right? We don't. We, we always have time for three meals a day, pretty much. Sometimes more than that. Right? Maybe a, Maybe like a bowl of cereal at night. I don't know. We have time for a meal and yet this is spiritual food for you. You can make time for God's word every day. Job, the most righteous man alive on the earth in his day, what was his secret? Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Man, maybe we should get A habit of saying Bible before breakfast. I wake up, I'm hungry. My stomach's growling and I'm thinking, I have got to get a bite to eat. But what if I decided to be like Job and said, I'm going to treasure your words more than my portion of food this morning. Bible before breakfast. Joshua 1.8. If we want to have success in what really matters, then listen to this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. You want to have spiritual health and resilience in the ups and downs of life? Listen to Psalm 1, 2 through 3. It says of the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It is a necessary ingredient for gospel community. Acts 2, 42, the early church, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This book will keep you from sin. It says in Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if you don't know what to do in life, it will be a guide to you. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need guidance every day, protection from sin every day, gospel community every day, resilience and spiritual health, success in what is important, this book is our daily bread. And so if we would abide in Christ, we must have his words abiding in us. Number four question I want to answer briefly. That was the longest one. What hinders our abiding? What keeps us from doing this? Um, Because he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If we do not abide, we will wither and die. This is life and death. One of the most significant hindrances to abiding in Christ is is a prideful, self-sufficient heart. When we think we can do it on our own. And, and this is something we have got to be vigilant against Constant. I mean, all week long, I felt myself as I thought through this message saying, Lord, help me. I, I, I always default back into self-sufficiency. I always revert back to working in my own strength. This is a constant battle, constant battle. We've got to put to death our pride. We've got to remember that we are in constant need of Jesus. Remember Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You know what that reminded me of this week? There are actually things that you can accomplish in your own strength. It's just going to be in vain. You might build a great house with your life, in the end, it's going to all be in vain. You can, you can get some stuff done. But do you, want, do you want work, fruit that lasts? Then it must be done in His strength. So we need to learn dependence and humility. Another great hindrance to abiding in Christ is an addiction to distraction and entertainment. And this is such an issue today. I mean... I, I harp on this all the time, but I feel like it's it, we need to. Our phones are killing us. I mean they are. We are every in-between moment of our lives is being sucked up by this device. Social media what are we getting out of scrolling through other people's pictures? But, it's, but it is, it's like an addiction. It's because we cannot stand to be bored for a minute, right? We, we need to see the results of this in our lives because this is serious, right? If to abide in Christ requires that we direct our thoughts to Jesus, moment by moment, from one moment to the next, then that means that the things in our lives that perpetually take our attention away from Him are deadly. Now, I'm not saying throw, throw away your phone. Maybe you need to. I don't know. But what I am saying is we've got to learn how to live with our technology in such a way that it doesn't destroy our souls. Like, this is one of the biggest issues facing the church today, is just how do I focus on God with all the distraction that's around me? And I wake up, and the world is moving a hundred miles an hour, and I just jump in the stream, right? I check what's going on in the news, and there's a, a hundred things happened since last night. And it's, and it just sucks me in. Right? And then we go through our day, and we can't even go to the bathroom without being distracted. <laughs> I mean, let's get real. We, there, we have to make laws about texting and driving because, because the addiction is real. Like, you can't even drive down the road without looking at this thing. It's that powerful, the pull. Why harp on it? Because if you are constantly looking at a screen, you are not beholding Christ. And it's not just your phone, it's it's your computer at work, it's, it's your TV when you get home, it's all of it. It's always there. We're addicted to distraction because if heaven forbid, For one moment there is silence. I have to face my real self before God and it hurts. So I'd rather just distract myself. So we've got to prioritize, how am I going to use all the little in-between moments of my day so that I can actually abide in Christ, so that I can actually pray? How do we pray without ceasing if we're looking at our phones without ceasing? Or texting without ceasing we we don't the second um, hindrance that I see to abiding in Christ is that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches take up so much room in our hearts that we don't have the room to love and meditate on the Word of God. Um, remember. Jesus said in Mark 4, 18-19, that there are some people who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is a, a, a totally different case. This is somebody who is spending time in the word, but then their heart isn't good soil to receive that, to meditate on that, for that to actually put, produce change because their heart is so crowded with other desires, the the desires of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, that's so crowding out the word that even though they're putting the word in, nothing is being produced out. Um, I don't have time to go into all that, but, but, but we need to remember that we are sojourners on this earth. We're only passing through. This is not our permanent home. We're citizens of heaven right? And so that changes our mentality of instead of I got to store up for myself in barns here, I need to store up treasures in heaven where moth and and rust can't get to, a thief can't get into it and steal, right? Mm -hmm. Finally, what are the results of abiding? I'm just going to hit these pretty quickly. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So The positive of that statement is, with me, you can do much. And so this is just an encouragement to us that one of the results of abiding is Jesus' productive, efficient, powerful work through us. We are incapable of anything on our own. We are able to accomplish much through him. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Well, fruit, is, fruit can be so many things. Um, it can be godliness, purity, um, holy and uplifting conversation with others. Um, it can be any of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It can be making disciples. It can be planting seeds of the gospel. Fruit is anything good and lasting that Jesus does through you. Um, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Man, what a wonderful result of abiding that our prayers become effective. And this isn't like an extra thing to tack on. This is how fruitfulness happens. So we got to really, don't miss this. There is no fruitfulness apart from prayers that are answered. Okay? Fruitfulness comes as we are relationally connected to him, aware of him, directing our thoughts toward him, his words are filling us, and as we're going through our day, we are praying, we're, we're as we go, we see this is a need, this is a person that I want to lift up, right? And those prayers are going up and they are being answered. That's where fruit comes. There's no fruitful life apart from a praying life. By this, he says, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So one of the results of abiding is that the father is glorified and that you want the father to be glorified. That's, that is the driving desire of Christ. You look at his You look at his high priestly prayer in John 17. His great desire for all of his life. The reason he wants to go to the cross. The reason he wants the church to be one. All of it is so that the Father is glorified. And as we abide in Christ, this great overarching desire of his flows into us. We begin to want that more than anything else. And then finally he says these things I have spoken to you that your that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is just wonderful icing on the cake. When we abide in Christ, we get his joy. We get full joy. He's saying, look, if you get my joy, it's maxed out. There's not a better option out there for you. You can stop the search. If you get his joy, you get all the joy a person can get. Full joy. And his joy becomes our strength, Nehemiah 8.10. Man, so this invitation to abide in Christ, who is the true vine, is an invitation to be with God. To be with him. Isaiah 7 14, one of the most famous prophetic passages in the scripture says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is written hundreds of years before Christ's birth. The promise was the virgin would have a son and call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus came to us, lived among us. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He lived a perfect life on this earth. He died here, just outside of the city of Jerusalem. He was buried in a garden tomb, and on the third day, He rose from the dead. He defeated death. Death can never touch him again, which means that he is alive and well today. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is still and ever will be God with us. And that's what this invitation, Abide in Me, is about. I I want to live life with you in all your moments, from one moment to the next when you're washing dishes, when you're driving to work, when you're at work, when you're jogging on the treadmill, when you're, you know, parenting your kids, whatever you're doing, he wants to do that with you. If you're not a Christian, you can begin this relationship with him today by turning from your sins to him in faith and trusting in him. I want to invite you to do that this morning if you have not. This is an open invitation to anyone who will come. Come to him. Turn from rebellion against God and unbelief and turn to him and believe and trust him to save you. And you can have this life with him. Now, what if you already know him? Here's the challenge I want to give you. You have a choice to make. What are you going to do with the next two hours? This is, where, this is where learning to abide in Christ begins. We could say, like, I'm going to abide in him from now until forever. That's awesome. But, but really, really, we've got to learn how to do this for the next two hours, right? We need to take real chunks of time, And make goals and say, I want to live the next two hours with my mind continually directed toward Christ. And whatever of His word I can conjure up, filling my mind and my thoughts. That's what it is to abide in Him. So here's the challenge. The next two hours, will you live in your strength or in His? Will you live relationally connected to Jesus for the next two hours? And then what if you did it for the next two hours after that and the next after that? And then if just this week, if we just said, I'm going to wake up every day, just this week, I'm going to make it my goal to see how many of my moments I can fill with uh, an acknowledgement of and a surrender to God. What fruit do you think would begin to effortlessly grow in your life? And that's the cool thing about fruit. You never see a branch straining. This happens naturally. It just happens naturally. You begin to see lives being changed and impacted all around you, and you go, I didn't even mean for that. I just was hanging out with Jesus. You end up having a healthier and happier marriage. You end up having kids who love the Lord, gospel conversations with friends and coworkers who didn't know Jesus, a greater love for God, and purity in your thoughts and your actions. Uh, imagine if just a few of us in this room got this. Not even if the whole room, just if a few of us, seriously. Like if, if a handful really got this, I mean, it would change our community. Look at what one person, Jesus, did constantly in connection with the Father. Look at... ah. Uh, I mean, we're not Jesus, but we have Him in us. Man, I believe we'd see the kingdom of God advancing more rapidly than we ever even imagined. And because, because God can do and wants to do more than we could ever ask or think or imagine through a person who is surrendered to him and just allowing him to live his life through them. Let's pray.